If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we've called this sermon series, Jesus Doing Work. So I hope you've seen week in and week out that Jesus, we see pictures of Jesus uh, pre- preaching the gospel, healing the sick, um, casting out evil spirits wherever he goes, and he's just doing work, right? He's doing kingdom ushering work. The past few weeks, we've seen that Jesus has been making distinctions between groups of people. So we have the scribes and Pharisees who are, are the farthest from Jesus, and they've even said that Jesus is the devil. We have the, um, the crowd who are around Jesus. They kind of like what he's doing. They're amazed by his miracles, but they seem to have one foot in and one foot out. And then we have the disciples who have left everything, given up everything, and followed Jesus, but they just still can't seem to grasp this gospel truth that Jesus is preaching. And last week, Matt, pre- Matt preached on um, Jesus riddling. Um, he talked about how, how Jesus used the medium of parables to teach. And parables are kind of, like a, kind of like a way of saying something without actually saying it. So um, it's like this. Have you guys ever hung out with um, a group of people so much that you started to develop this like kind of inside lingo and like this inside joke stuff? And you guys talk in a way where if a new guy comes in, people don't know what you're talking about because they've never been a part of that kind of group. Um, I, when I first came to Boston a few years ago, I went up to uh, Richard Sid's Ice Cream. Anyone been up there? It's good stuff. Um, I went up to Richard Sid's Ice Cream, and I, I was sitting there, standing in line, looking at the huge menu. There's like a million options. And I was trying to decipher which one I'm going to get. I was sweating. I was like holding my breath because it smells like manure up there. Um, and I get up to the front, and I order myself a cone with two scoops of uh, purple cow. If you guys have never tried purple cow, that's, I think, the best. Um, two scoops of purple cow. And the high school girl at the counter, she's like, you want Jimmy's on your cone? And I had to be like, uh, who's Jimmy? <laughs> because and she's just like, she's like, you want Jimmy's? And I'm like, I don't think I do. <laughs> uh, so I, I had to pass on that. Later I found that they're just sprinkles. Um, I'm like, why didn't you just call them sprinkles? Because that's what they are. But parables are kind of like that. Um, if you have not spent, you know, a couple minutes in Boston or a, a neighborhood like Southie, you know you don't belong if you're not from there. Because they talk, they act in a way that is completely foreign to, to you if you're not from there. Um, you realize you're not like them because you don't pick up on the language. You're an outsider because you don't understand half the things they're saying. And Jesus' parables are kind of like that. They keep outsiders out and they invite insiders in. It was a way to reveal the kingdom of God without giving it all away. So last week, Matt preached on the parable of the four soils, and this parable was uh, teaching us the different ways that people hear the word, the different ways that people hear the word. And this week, I want to focus on um, these parables and tell us, show us how or what happens when the word is heard well. And next week, Joey's going to preach on the purpose or the result of hearing the word well. So what I want us to hear this morning are two things. First, the kingdom of God is the work of God alone, not our work. We don't even have one finger in this mysterious work of God. Second, the kingdom of God may seem small, 
may seem weak, may seem insignificant and foolish to many, but Jesus says it will be huge, it will be strong, it will be magnificent and glorious to all. I want us to hear how Jesus is telling those who would follow after him how paradoxical the kingdom of God really is. That the kingdom of God is a paradox compared to any blueprint man could have drawn up. I want us to feel how upside down this whole thing is compared to normal human convention. I want us to feel in our flesh how this just doesn't make sense, this this tension. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, 26 to 32, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, 26 to 32. And he said, The kingdom of God is if a man which should, should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the, earth, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable should we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Father, we just come before you today. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your parables, that you would explain to us what these mean. As we desire to know the truth of the gospel, to know the truths of the kingdom of God, uh, may these words invite us in. Help us to believe in them, trust in them, have faith in them. Enlighten our hearts, Lord. This This is the work that only you can do, and we trust in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Even if uh, today's the first time you've joined us at Seven Mile Road, I think you can realize that we have a lot of babies. Um, they're everywhere. Um, they are tugging on the pants of the dads. They're in the arms of their moms. Um, they're everywhere. We've got a lot of babies up in this joint, right? Um, this tells me two things. This tells me that we are going to be a megachurch in about 15 to 20 years. <laughs> so get ready for that. Um, and I think it's safe to say that we all kind of know um, how this thing works, right? We've all had the talk. I'll just leave it at that. When Caroline and I got married, I thought I knew how it all worked, right? A dude falls in love with a pretty girl. They get married. They get down, and bam, you have a baby. But she is more intelligent than I, and so she informed me that it's not that easy. Um, she says that there's about a period of a few days or a week when um, the oven's on preheat. So I'm thinking, okay, I got 25% chance if, I, if that's the case, but if we know that, you know, when that few days or a week is coming, then my odds go way up. So we, we got this, right? It's going to be cake, right? Wrong. Little did I know that it's not that easy. Um, month after month after month, I began to learn something. I began to learn that it's really not because of my work it's really not because of her work that this thing's going to be done. God is going to do the work, right? Life will be given by God. But it's not because, and it's not because two people timed it right 
or got it all right or they, you know, ran the system. God designed it and is going to make it happen. You have exhibit A in the Bible in, in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man, a 75-year-old man named Abraham, um, out of his home into a foreign land. And he says to this guy, you are going to be a great nation. Basically, he says, you're going to have descendants of descendants of descendants of descendants of descendants. You're going to have a lot of children. Now, this guy's 75 years old, okay? Just remember that. He says, God says to him, Abraham, look into the sky. You see those stars? Right? And remember, this isn't like when we look up in the sky, we kind of see maybe three and one of them is like a plane. It's, it's when, you know, have you guys ever been in a place where like there's no lights, no buildings, and the only thing lighting your path is the sun off the moon and it's lighting your... He was in a place like that where you just look up in the sky and there's millions to billions of stars and they're so bright. You cannot just, you know, it's just, it's crazy. So God tells Abraham, look up in the sky. Look at all those stars. Those are the amount of children, the descendants that you're going to have. Now, this is the crazy thing because Abraham was 75 years old, right? So, okay, this could happen. It's a long shot. If he gets really busy, really fast, it could happen, right? Theoretically. But do you guys know who his, who his wife was? Sarah. It says in the Bible that Sarah was passed away of a woman. Basically, she was not producing eggs anymore. So it was a physical impossibility. It was a verifiable impossibility that these two were going to have children. It just wasn't going to happen. But what does God continue to say? He says, you're going to bear a son. And so at this point, you got to be like, you just got to laugh because it's not going to happen, God. Don't you get it? Didn't you get the memo? He's 75 years old. She's not producing as This thing's not going to happen. There's no way. But Abraham, month after month, is faithful to what God has said. He has faith in what God is going to do. And he goes and, and is faithful month after month. And after month after month, after year after year, Abraham and Sarah faced the disappointment that this thing is just not going to work the way they thought. And when Abraham was 100 years old, 25 years after that promise, God intervenes and fulfills his promise. I want us to be humbled by that thought. It's not because of anything we do or any strategy of our, of our minds to have children But month after month, we ought to be humbly reminded that it's not what we do because God alone gives life. It's not because of anything we do. It's it's what what God already did. So in this parable, God says the kingdom of God is like that. He tells us a parable about a man that sows a seed in the ground. and, And Jesus makes it painfully clear that this man has absolutely nothing to do with this seed's growth. Absolutely nothing. He says that the man sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts, and the man has no idea how it sprouts. Jesus even goes as far as to say that the earth produces the, the, um, the seed, the growth, by itself. That word by itself in the original language is automate, where we derive the word automatic, right? So basically, Jesus is saying this seed grows automatically, apart from the influence of the farmer. 
And Jesus is saying, you know that guy that scattered the seed? Yeah, all he's doing is sleeping and rising, sleeping and rising, night after night, day after day. And this seed is growing automatically. Not because he watered it well, not because he tilled the soil perfectly or he pulled the weeds well. Because God did it. The dude had absolutely nothing to do with making the seed grow. In fact, he doesn't even know how it grew. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this seed that the man scatters on the ground. He does nothing to contribute to its growth. It's all God. You have to remember the prevailing culture of this time that Jesus was speaking into. It was a really a highly religious culture uh, that believed that in doing the right things at the right times um, to get the right results so that you can become right with God. Um, they had, you know, they had laws against everything, right? They had rituals in case anything happened. Uh, they had rules for everything to do. Um, this was all an elaborate scheme that they thought was prescribed to them so they can remain in the kingdom of God. And we hear this now and we're like, those people are crazy. Like, that's stupid. But the funny thing is, if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have a little bit of a religious bent in us, right? We all have an idea of what we should and shouldn't do, what a good Christian does and doesn't do, right? And we, we think, if we only pray harder, if we only read more, if we only go to church more often, it's all going to be good. We'll be okay. And I'm, I'm prone to think that. But here's the beautiful paradox of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not the result of man's work. It's solely God's work. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we give, no matter how, how long we pray, none of it's going to trump the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why the scribes just couldn't get it, right? They thought, the more, they, thought they were more righteous than the righteous because they had moral and upright living. But the kingdom of God is not the result of man's work. It's God's work alone in Christ. This should be a humbling word for us, right? Especially for pastors and leaders of the church and, uh, and all of us. We are prone to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think we can save a city, save a culture uh, through our quick wit and our you know, winning personality. And Jesus says, even you, even you, the most powerful preacher, even you, the most eloquent speaker, even you, the most courageous leader, or even you, the most prayerful shepherd, you cannot command success. You can't do it. God stirs up life in the hearts of his people. God alone. You see how this would offend the scribes and Pharisees? How this would confront them? how they would be dumbfounded by this teaching and say, this is worthless. Because you think about this, a farmer never leaves a seed, throws a seed in the ground and just leaves it. You know, no farmer does that. That's just, that's ridiculous, right? Any good farmer knows that if you want a seed to grow and flourish, you've got to till the soil, you've got to pull the weeds, you've got to water it off often. It's obvious. But the farmer is totally removed from the process of this seed growing to emphasize just one point. 
The point is that that seed's growth is caused by someone other than the farmer. So here's what I don't want us to hear at this point, that I don't want us to hear that we can just wait and do nothing and it'll all happen um, because God is going to do the work, right? I don't want us to hear that because even in this parable, the, fa- the farmer sows the seed and goes out and harvests it. The point of this parable is to, to teach us how that seed actually grows, who makes that seed grow, and that is not by us. It's by God. And this is something Paul knew very well. He says in, to the church in Corinth, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters deserves anything, but God alone who gives the growth. This was to counter the pharisaical thought that it's what we do or what we need to do that makes us holy. This is anti-gospel. Anti-gospel. The gospel says that it's not about what you've done. It's not about what you need to do, but about what Jesus already did. The kingdom of God is not the result of man's work. It's God's work alone. Jesus then goes on to the next parable. He goes on to tell another parable. It's a little bit different, but still the same because he's talking about the kingdom of God. He says that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed by any means, okay? But when you compared something to a mustard seed, everyone knew what you were talking about. It's kind of like this. If I said, man, look at Brent's head. It looks like a watermelon. What am I saying? It's big and it's round, right? If I said, um, if I said man, Rajon Rondo, he's built like a toothpick. What am I saying about him? He's fragile, he's skinny, he breaks his arms, he needs to practice his jump shot. That's, right? That's what I'm saying, right? Now, when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, What's he saying? He's saying that it's small, it's weak, it's insignificant. And everyone would have known that. So at this point, the scribes would have been furious at at Jesus when he tells his parables because they would have been like, no, no. The kingdom of God is not like a mustard seed. No way, not in a million years. The kingdom of God is supposed to be strong and powerful and mighty. It's supposed to be dominant. Ain't no way it's like a mustard seed. You got it all wrong. You're crazy. But Jesus was saying something completely different. Saying the kingdom of God is to begin as something that's weak and humble and seemingly insignificant. And that's how it's supposed to be. A carpenter's son who comes from a small, small town of Nazareth, right? He was supposed to, um, he was supposed to, spend his life as a homeless teacher with a ragtag group of uneducated fishermen. And he was supposed to go and and do ministry and he was supposed to be tried, arrested and tried and sentenced to death, the most humiliating death that was known at the time, a death on a cross between two thieves. I mean, this is not a story about a dominant, powerful kingdom coming. This was the unfortunate ending of the weak and insignificant ministry of Jesus Christ, the one they called Messiah. And the scribes were supposed to have the last laugh at this. They were supposed to say, see, I told you. 
that dude was crazy blaspheming Yahweh. He's just a dud like all the rest of them. But Jesus said, when this mustard seed is sown, buried in the ground, the smallest of all the seeds of the earth, it grows up to become larger than all the garden plants and puts out a large enough branch so that all the birds of the air can find shelter in its shade. You feel how awesome and powerful that imagery is? How glorious that little seed is going to grow up to be? That's the beautiful paradox of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a strong and powerful military coup that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. The kingdom of God is not going to come with lights and cameras and a standing ovation. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Small, weak, insignificant, and almost nothing. But it will grow to become huge and strong and glorious and powerful. And that's why we say that the gospel, this good news of the kingdom of God, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It just doesn't make sense. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our culture pictures this best, right? They look at Christians and, and, and they, they say, they look at Christians that give themselves over to the gospel and to the work of the gospel and they say, that's unfortunate. Those people are crazy, right? The church, that's just for the weak-minded. Those are the people that need emotional and intellectual crutches. You believe in that garbage? But Jesus says to the crowds, that's exactly how the kingdom of God will be perceived. The kingdom of God is the smallest and weakest and seemingly most foolish thing on, the, on earth. But when it is sown in the ground, it grows to become larger than all the plants. Large enough so that all the birds of the air can find shelter in its shade. Many of us won't get this. Many of us will feel slighted by the world who thinks that we're weak and insignificant and we're part of that crowd. But today, rest in the promise of Jesus in this parable. That the kingdom of God has small and humble beginnings, yes, but the end result will be far different. Jesus left this earth as a suffering servant, but he promised to come back to this earth as a conquering king. So I have a couple points of application here for us at Seven Mile Road. First, breathe out a huge sigh of relief. The weight of this kingdom thing, this work, does not solely rest on our shoulders or anyone's shoulders in this room. The heavy burden of this kingdom work has already been carried on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. So take that load off your shoulders because we weren't designed, we weren't meant to carry that work because if you do, that will only crush your soul. Rest in the truth that Jesus did all the heavy lifting already. That Jesus did it all once and for all. Okay? Second, let's breathe in the hope. Let's breathe in the hope of the promise of the coming kingdom of God. Let that feed Let that feed you and strengthen your ministry. Let that feed your feeble work. 
Yes, it's going to feel like some of our work in this life is going to be weak and insignificant, and we're going to question ourselves, is this making a difference? But let's hold on to the promise of this parable. The kingdom of God will grow, and not just grow to be eh, but grow to be powerful and strong and mighty. Seven Mile Road, let's believe the gospel today. Okay? Let's believe the gospel today. We ought to hear this word and say, yes, yes, I want to believe in that. It's not about my work. It's about the work that's already been done in and through Jesus Christ. This work doesn't rest on my shoulders anymore because Jesus finished the work for us. And I trust in that. I put my faith in that. And let us not lose heart. Seven Mile Road, don't lose heart. This seemingly weak and insignificant thing called the kingdom of God that we're all a part of, it's going to grow to be strong and large one day. It will be so massive that all the world will see the kingdom of God as it truly is. In all its might and all its power. So, Father, we ask, Lord, you, Lord of the harvest, you, Lord, that makes this seed, the kingdom of God, grow, we ask you to do your work and help us to rest in that, help us to participate in that, help us to go out and become apostles that are sent out to reap that harvest, the harvest that you made and that you have grown. God, we thank you for the gospel, the gospel that teaches us that Jesus Christ did the work and that we don't have to do anything. Help us to rest in that truth today. Help us to go forward, not losing heart, but being confident in this work that we're called to do. In your name we pray.